Well, I'm excited to do this blog post today and record this podcast. Um, it's a story that I think is really important for me to share because it's my story and it's something I went through at a time when there was a lot of misunderstanding about it. And I, I hope that this can reach people that it needs to reach for understanding and encouragement. And I just think it's good to have this conversation. I was born in 1957. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I had been three years in anorexic. Not knowing it, I spent my sophomore, junior, and senior years of high school starving myself. Um, so this was 1975, and I guess about that time we started to notice a difference in Karen Carpenter's appearance. Apparently she had put, she was a little, a little chubby at points in her life when you're traveling on the road. I don't know. It's just hard to take as good care of ourselves. And the news media started mocking her and making comments about the chubby singer and the chubby drummer. And so those, those were the days back then. And I guess I can say that things have improved um, but I know that what I was living through was very similar to what she did just in my own mind. I, um, I was never a skinny child, but I always carried my weight below my waist, which when you don't develop a, a, a pronounced bus line when you're in high school, you look like a pear. <laughs> and you know, I still do look like a pear, but I accept it now. But at the time, I kept thinking, if I could just lose weight and be skinny, have skinny legs like um, the other girls, I thought maybe I would be more popular. Um, I'm going to describe myself at the time and then I'm going to read you a paragraph from an article I found. I became the class valedictorian. Perfect grades, perfect jump shot for basketball, perfect free throw line shooting in basketball. I just wanted so badly to be approved of, I guess in my heart, I needed to be perfect so that people would accept me. I didn't want people to disapprove of who I was. And I learned that if I wore baggy clothes, nobody could tell that I'd lost 35 pounds. <laughs> I started at 135 maybe. And before it was all said and done, I was down to 94 pounds. And in my mind, I remember those last couple of days going, you know, if I can just lose four more pounds, then if I overeat, it'll be okay. What a sick... It, it takes over your, your life. You read magazines that are featuring food because that's how you feed yourself. And it's kind of like 
I had this feeling that I didn't need that. I didn't need food. I would eat, you know, four or five hundred calories a day maybe. Um, I, I don't even think I drank a lot of water. I do not know how I'm still alive. But there's something that turned me around and it happened in March, which this is March, March of 1975. Mind you, I did not in any way, shape, or form want to go to the cafeteria at lunch. I really, if I had to eat something, I would eat it quickly and go outside and sit by myself under the flagpole and, <laughs> and work advanced math and trig problems. I love that. I would put my mind into something that would take my mind off hunger, and pretty soon I wasn't hungry. And, well, the sicker I got, it seems like the more pronounced the condition became in my mind. But I didn't know that there was a name for it, and I didn't even know that, that it was actually an illness until I picked up a Seventeen magazine, which was the thing back then. It was of March 1975, and I was sitting out under the flagpole at lunch, and this is what I read. Danger. You can overdo dieting. People who lose weight to the point of near starvation may be suffering from a psychological disorder called anorexia nervosa. Here's the dramatic account of one woman's ordeal. First paragraph. What sort of person gets anorexia nervosa? Most of them are female, young, under 20, bright, energetic, articulate. Good in school, good in sports. The anorexic rises to competition and achieves. She is slender, attractive, usually fun to be around, but she worries about grades, about her friends, about her looks. Is she getting fat? Wouldn't she look better if she could just lose a few more pounds? She's constantly dieting, becoming thinner and thinner. She talks about it all the time. She works harder and harder in gym. She is an exercise nut running around all day. She skips meals. Well, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd never heard of anorexia nervosa before, March 1975. I went inside to the cafeteria and I found three friends that I'd known since elementary school. And I showed them the article. <laughs> and this was my therapy. One of them said, hey, Let's all go on a senior trip together. We all need to lose weight and you need to gain weight. So you sit with us at the table and you'll eat our potatoes and we'll eat your salad. You know, it was, um, it was, a, it was an unlikely sort of treatment, but it got me started. And am I over it? Eh, I don't starve myself anymore. I think there are so many things that probably were prevalent before I became an anorexic and that I still battle today. It's just that I know the name for them. I battle anxiety and OCD and depression. 
I, I, I see um, a constant thread in there in my life and in my mind. So, as a songwriter, I guess I was trying to come to grips with my reality at the time. And as a 40-something or 50-year-old woman, I, I wrote this about a coping skill that I had. And you'll know what it is through the song. Um, hope you'll give it a listen. Love meant nothing. 
time I discover I just had this incredible epiphany while I was doing this. Um, maybe the reason I love tennis so much was it allowed me to burn off calories. It allowed me to look and feel feminine on the court. I don't know. I felt like I, I put my best foot forward when I had that racket in my hand. Um, thank you for listening. Well, I really do believe that we are today who we are because of everything that you've experienced in the past. And I can honestly say that I've grown a lot since those high school days, starving myself to death, thinking that's how to be accepted. So, it's not all smooth sailing, I'm not going to say that, but I'm now 62 years old and I joined an organization seven or eight years ago, I guess, in Baton Rouge. It's called the Adult Music Club. I love, love the Adult Music Club. Uh, the originator of it is a friend of mine whose name is Dave Henson and by day he teaches children in the gifted schools in Baton Rouge, teaches strings. And um, <laughs> he started this thing now at night where he teaches people who are not in school anymore. It could be someone in their 30s. It could be someone in their 70s, you know. And he loves to take you and put you on an instrument that you've never played before. He wants to teach you something new and empower you. Well, I play professionally as a guitarist. He didn't want my guitar playing, but I had a cello I wanted to learn to play. Oh my gosh, y'all. Those things are really expensive to buy. And, well, mine kept squeaking. <laughs> now, I understand now why it was squeaking. There was nothing wrong with the cello. The bow was great. I had rosin on it. 
But there's a little more to playing the cello, to bowing the cello than that. And I was ready to give up until one day I was at a jam and I was trying to play along with my cello and I put my bow down and I started plucking the strings and a friend told me, oh Dorothy, never put the bow down in giving up. That's your voice. Well, <laughs> so Dave Henson wanted me to bring my cello to the adult music club because the group that he was teaching um, was doing Beatles songs. And I want you to think of Eleanor Rigby, the strings in Eleanor Rigby. I mean, though, there are strings all over those Beatles albums. And I thought, oh yeah, I can do this. I was terrified. And I love Dave. And I... I really appreciate the fact that as I was bowing along to these Beatles songs and I would squeak, he never once lost his patience. The class would start with him saying, Dorothy, can I see your cello? <laughs> and he'd sit down and he'd show me in this beautiful, effortless manner what he wanted me to do. I'd go, oh, okay. And I would squeak. <laughs> It took a couple of years, I'm not kidding you, um, before the day I saw him sit back and relax because I wasn't squeaking anymore. Well, come to find out, this is a process. I don't believe you're ever done learning how to play the cello. I, for one, am not. And But it taught me a lot. I learned more out of learning to play the cello than I've learned out of learning a lot of things. Here I'm in this group called the Adult Music Club and I'm playing along to Beatles songs and all of a sudden I hear, hey y'all, we have a gig coming up. And I looked at him and I thought, what the? Apparently this organization is not just to teach you but to teach you how to play in a group. Wow, that's good, huh? until you have to bring your cello out to the first gig and you're terrified. Well, I was terrified. Um, but I remember one time we played at uh, a local restaurant and bar and club at the time called Chelsea's. And boy, if you played at Chelsea's, you were, you were uptown. Well, I was terrified. My hands were shaking. But I had more fun on that stage playing my cello than I think I've ever had playing music. And here was the deal. I looked out into the audience and I thought, every single person in this audience wants me to succeed. No one is going to come up to me and say, well, keep trying. Everybody wanted us to succeed. And you know, doggone it, I did hit some good notes. I was really proud of that. And I did hit some notes that were not so good, but I kept going. And I'm really proud of that. So it was at that time that I, I coined a moniker for how I want to be. I don't want to be a perfectionist. That That's... Pfft, What's the point? 
You never can keep it that way. And it puts a whole lot of pressure and takes a lot of the joy out of life. So I decided that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be good enough. And I spell it G-O-O-D apostrophe N-E-F-F. Oop, I misspelled it. But that's okay, it's good enough. <laughs> G-O-O-D apostrophe N-U-F-F. Good enough. And of course, knowing me, I wrote a song called Good Enough. And this is how I try to live. So, wow, I, I hope. I hope this reaches the right ears. I hope you appreciate it. Time to cut myself some slack. Time to relax. The world will keep spinning even if I myself some slack. Don't wanna wanna be the P word. No, the one with seven letters. It's a plus behind the grade that says no mistakes were made. Don't wanna wanna be the P word. Tired of reaching for perfection. Like some wicked infection. This impossible goal taking over my soul. Tired of reaching for perfection. Wanna be just good enough. Wanna be just good enough. No need to huff and puff. I believe sure enough. Wanna be just good enough. Setting the bar, wanna be just good enough. Wanna be just good enough. No need to huff and puff, I believe sure enough. Wanna be just good enough. In truth, I'm making progress on the path to good enough. Though the going is slow and the road is rough. Can't shake the nagging feeling that it's so very wrong. Took a year and a half of rewrites to finish this song. Wanna be just good enough. Wanna be just good enough. No need to huff and puff. I believe sure enough. Wanna be just good enough. Oh yeah.